Well, before we dig in today, I wanted to revisit a conversation that we started last week on unity. And Pastor Matt talked about the scripture that says that we will represent Christ by how we love one another. And I was really pondering on this scripture, and I was thinking that the world loves one another when things are going right, right? They love one another when you agree and when everything's good, but there's something different when someone loves someone who they disagree with and when things are challenging. And that's what Jesus meant when he said, that's how you represent me. It's when you are loving people and you are walking in unity with people that you disagree with, that you even strongly disagree with, but you find a place and a way to walk in unity. And it's been breaking my heart seeing so many Christians on social media platforms or YouTube or whatever it is, and they're sharing their opinion, but they're sharing in a way that doesn't breed unity. And some of them, I agree with what they're saying, but the way they're going about it doesn't contend for unity. And so I wanted to read this scripture to you. It's in James chapter 3, verse 17. It says, But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. This scripture is telling us that wisdom needs to be accurate, and the wisdom obviously that from God is, but the next four descriptions of wisdom that is from above, I think helps us to see how we deliver that accurate message. And it says that we deliver it peaceably. So if we're not intending to have peace with our conversation or with our actions, then it's probably not God leading us to say or do those things. Wouldn't you agree? It also says that it is gentle. And I don't know if any of you have been in this place, but I've read some things on Facebook that I feel like it was coming off the computer screen down my throat by the way that it was said. And you know, that has never changed my opinion anyway. And so the wisdom that's from above, it is gentle. It also is willing to yield, and and this is an important one. It means that it's willing to back off. It's not going to stand there. I've heard people say that I'm going to fight you till I'm blue in the face. That's not God. God doesn't fight you till he's blue in the face. Think of how God has dealt with you when you've been wrong on something. Does he fight you till he's blue in the face? Or does he submit it to you and then he's willing to back off if you're not willing to receive it? It also says that it's full of mercy. And this one spoke a lot to me because I know how much mercy that I've received in my life, certainly from God, but also from so many other people in my life. I've received so much more mercy than what I would ever be able to give. And if I will respond to people through mercy and I let everything I say be covered with that, it'll do something in the hearts of the hearers. But at the end of the day, the most important thing is that Jesus is amplified. And if my arguing with someone overshadows Jesus or pushes people away from the gospel, then I'm doing something wrong. And so what I need to do is I submit my opinions, but if they aren't willing to receive, I rather amplify Jesus because if they find him, they'll find the answers. So I just wanted to encourage you with this scripture this morning. So as you deal with so many different things that you're going to disagree on because there's so many today. There's so many things that are out there trying to divide us today. So you're going to run into it. Filter it through this scripture. Filter your words and filter your actions through this scripture so that the world can see Jesus in us. Amen? Amen. 
Well, we're starting, or we didn't start, we're on week two of a message series called Campfires, and here's our logo. And since I have, since Matt's not here, and I have an opportunity to get him back for so many things that he says to me, this logo we chose from several different ones, Pastor Guy and myself and Jess and all the people in the office, except for Lisa, I think. She was the traitor. But everybody else chose a different one, and then last week this one pops up, and we were like, what? He chose the one we didn't go with. So anyway, I think it looks pretty blue, um, but, you know, it's good. It is a campfire, so we're rolling with it. Um, I'm going to start with a scripture that Matt opened with last week. It's Isaiah 40, 31. It says, But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And so last week we talked about how this describes three different paces that we kind of go through life in. We are sometimes mounted up on wings like eagles and we're flying and soaring. We're seeing um, far and wide and we're kind of cruising past everything that is below us. And then there's times when we're running and so we're brought down to ground level. We're still moving really quick, but we can see things more clearly. But then there's those moments where we're walking and we're moving a lot more slowly and we can see like cracks in the foundation and more of the details than what we could see from any of the other places. When we began our relationship with Gateway Network, Pastor David had Matt and I take a personality test and it's called the KELP test, or at least that's the way I call it, K-L-O-P test. It was a lot of questions. It took forever. Many of the questions seemed like they were asking the same thing over and over and over. And so I was glad to be done with it. But Pastor David called us and he went over the results and he went through Matt's first and it was like, yep, he's a mover, new ideas, likes to fly, likes to soar, going fast and all that makes sense. And then he starts to read mine and he's like, oh boy, you're the same way. You're poor kids. And it's true. We, we always want to be doing something new. We like to have new ideas and new things. We don't like to sit too long in any place or any situation. In fact, if I could move every two to three years, I would do that because I like a new house and a new palette to be able to decorate and change. I don't mind the packing up and shifting things because usually what I do is throw half of it away. And then I know Stacy's like, no, we just did that. You don't want to move. Um, but I do enjoy it. Matt's kind of with you, Stacy. He's like, yeah, I don't want to do all the packing stuff. He'd like the new house part, but not all the other stuff. But anyway, we're definitely wired to want to fly and soar and go fast and, and kind of just bypass lots of things on the ground. But as we've gotten older and walked through more life, although we're still very young, just in case any of you are wondering, Katie, um, we, we've learned to appreciate more of those walking seasons of life those seasons where we get to see more of the details and we get to kind of shore up more of the foundation because what we found is it's in those seasons that we're prepared for the season to come because that next season, God's plans for us are always more. Our former days, uh, no, our latter days are better than our former days, right? So what's in the season ahead is more and so we need our foundation to be strong so that we can launch off of a sure foundation. Um. We're definitely in a season of walking, I would say, right now for many of you with this pandemic. Would you agree? Yeah. A lot of things have been shut down and slowed down. A lot of things have been disrupted. Schools and businesses and restaurants and all kinds of things have kind of been shooken up. And we've had to kind of relook at how can we do this in a different way to meet the needs 
of the people that we're serving. And I want to suggest to you that this is not always a bad thing. Maybe you've kind of already realized that a little bit. But, you know, it's been good for us to kind of look at why do we school the way we do? Why, why did I choose to school my kids the way I did? Why do we run our businesses the way that we have? Is it because that's what everybody does? Is it because we're going with the flow and we didn't really think much about it? Or is it because we've really evaluated our own family or our own business and we've made the decisions based on that? I've heard many parents say that I never thought I could homeschool, but I've realized that I can. And I think that's a good thing to know that you can do it if you want to and you feel empowered to do so. But maybe you've landed it, we're doing the right thing and that's what we need. And I think that's a good thing as well. Because when you launch out into the next season, you want to be confident in the decisions you make and not wonder if you've done it all wrong. Amen? And so these seasons of walking are helpful, even though oftentimes they do come with struggle and they do come with pain and they do come with uncertainty. And I realize that as well. But today I want to start talking with you about the island of Malta. Who has heard about the island of Malta? A few of you, what do you remember from that story? The snake bite, right? That's like what it's known for. All the other stuff we don't really remember. But he was bitten by a snake and nothing happened to him. And that's what we remember. But I want to, before we dig into where Paul is at on Malta, I want to take you back two years and kind of tell you what led up to him landing in Malta. Two years before, he was arrested for preaching the gospel it was his second time of being arrested, and he was um, in the temple preaching. The Pharisees and Sadducees, they got him. They were trying to accuse him and put him to death. Paul, with the wisdom of God, said, hey, what about the resurrection? He knew that they were disagreeing on that, and so then they started fighting against each other. That's why we need the wisdom of God, because he knows exactly what to say in the right moment, right? Right? And so anyway, it says that they were about ready to tear him apart, and he was like, whoa, whoa, I'm a Roman citizen. And what that meant is they had no right to try him or to punish him, that he had to be tried before a Roman ruler. And so they were like, okay, okay, we're going to take you to Felix, the Roman ruler of the day. And so they presented their case to Felix. They lied and said that he was trying to incite riots and rebellion against Roman rule and then Paul gave his defense. And as we see throughout Paul's life, he did what he always did. He leaned on the gospel and he presented the gospel. And Felix was like, I don't get it. I don't get what they're talking about. I don't see anything wrong with what he's doing. But unfortunately, Felix was a weak ruler. And so Felix was too afraid to release him and say he's innocent. So he just kept him in prison. And for the next two years, Paul was in prison and he was in chains and Felix would try to call him up to catch him in his defense, and he never could, but he just sat in prison for two years. And then after that time, Felix was replaced with a man named Festus. They had interesting names back in that day. That's a city to me, it's not a name. But, um, but he was replaced with Festus, and three days after Festus was in office, the Sadducees in the Pharisees, they were back into like, all right, this is our opportunity to get him. And so I want to pause there in the story. Two years of bitterness, two years of anger, two years of Satan working on their minds to where they were waiting for an opportunity to put to death one man. One man. They saw one man as that big of a threat. 
And so that's the power of the gospel. Satan knows it when just one person is willing to stand and contend for the word of God that all of hell really does shake. So anyway, um, he go, the, the Sanhedrin, they go and they are giving their case to Festus now, trying to tell him that Paul is inciting these riots and all that. Paul, once again, gives his defense. And Festus says the same thing. He's like, I don't get it. But Festus really didn't want to deal with it. And so he was like, hey, Paul, why don't you go and be tried in Jerusalem? Maybe they'll hear your case and maybe they'll let, your go, let you go. Paul was much smarter than that. And he said, you know what? I just appeal to Caesar. As a Roman citizen in that day, if you appealed to Caesar, you had to be protected and you had to be taken all the way to Caesar so that you could stand trial before him. So he knew that by appealing to Caesar that he would be protected at least until he got there. And so that's what he did. Festus was like, good, he's out of my hands. I'm so glad. Until he remembered he was going to have to write a report as to why he was sending him to Caesar. And he's like, I got nothing. I have no idea what I'm going to write in this report. I don't really know anything about this Jesus that they talk about. I can't see what they're trying to say and accuse him of. And then he had a great idea that King Agrippa was going to be coming into town. Now, King Agrippa, he was much more familiar with the gospel, much more familiar with Jewish beliefs and with Jesus. He had influence with the Jewish people, but he was also a Roman ruler. So it seemed like the perfect opportunity to get help with this report. So he was going to have Paul stand before King Agrippa. And what we see is that when Paul gave his defense before King Agrippa, it was a beautiful um, retelling of his testimony of what God did for him on the Damascus Road. We see it really as an opportunity that he was presenting Jesus to these two rulers, but by all accounts and purposes, they didn't accept him at least that day. And so King Agrippa was like, man, I don't see it either. I don't know what they're talking about. Had he not appealed to Caesar, he would have been released that day. So finally, it looked like there was a ruler that was strong enough to be able to say, I'd release him, but Paul's fate was kind of already set going to Rome. And so anyway, they wrote their report, don't really know what it says, had to be a bunch of lies, or to say, we don't agree, I'm not sure. Um, but they send Paul off on a ship off to Rome. They had to thwart another death attempt that they heard about, so that was the second or third death attempt on Paul's life over this two-year period of time. And so then he gets on a boat and he arrives at the first port and Paul says, hey guys, I just want to let you know there's going to be a huge storm brewing. Probably not wise for us to continue sailing. Well, it they were on the end of the sailing season. So they were about ready to be in the off season where they couldn't sail. It would be too dangerous. And so the, he the captain of the ship had to make this you know, decision. Are we going to delay for months or are we going to go ahead and risk it? And so he decided to go ahead and risk it. They launched out. They were in a huge storm, of course, because that's what Paul said. And they wound up not eating for 14 days at one point. I'm not exactly sure how long they were on this boat, but at least two weeks. Um, and I can only imagine in this major storm on the boat, they had to have not been eating because of seasickness, right? That's the only thing that makes sense. So now I'm envisioning lots of vomiting and, you know, grossness, all kinds of nasty. And so anyway, on the 13th day, thankfully, an angel shows up and tells Paul, hey, I just want to let you know you're good. Like you're going to be saved. Everybody with you is going to be saved. The ship, not so much, um, but you are going to Rome. And so Paul says, I got this. I'm going to tell him. 
And so he tells them what the angels said. They eat and then dump everything overboard. I'm not sure. It doesn't say that Paul says how much longer they're going to be on the boat, but I guess they assumed it wasn't going to be too long because there went all the food. Um, But they did run aground. The ship did get destroyed, and they all had to swim to the island of Malta. And so I'm going to read to you in Acts chapter 28 the 10 verses that talk, with us, talk to us about the island of Malta. It says, Now when Paul had escaped, they then found out that the island was called Malta. And the natives showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and made us all welcome because of the rain that was falling and because of the cold. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. So when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer, whom, though he has escaped the sea, yet justice does not allow him to live. Justice was a God that the Maltese people believed in, and they believed that this God, if they didn't have natural consequences of punishment, that justice would come and enact punishment. So that's what they were saying this was. He got rid of the sea, but justice is coming to make sure he he has right punishment. It says, but he shook the creature off into the fire, and he suffered no harm. However, they were expecting that he would swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But after they had looked for a long time and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. In that region, there was an estate of the leading citizen of the island whose name was Publius, who received us and entertained us courteously for three days. And it happened that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and dysentery, Paul went into him and prayed and laid his hands on him and healed him. So when this was done, the rest of those who were on the island who had diseases also came and were healed, and they also honored us in many ways. And when we departed, they provided such things as were necessary. So before we move on, let's pray. Dear Father God, we thank you so much that your presence is here with us today. We felt you from... From the beginning, Lord God, we know that you intend today to open eyes, to heal hearts, to make a difference, Father. You know where each and every person stands. You know what each and every person is dealing with, God. And I know that your heart and your goal is to minister to all of those needs. And so we invite you to do whatever it is that you want to do in this house today. I pray that you would speak through me, Lord God, and have your way in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So I want to pull out some things from Malta today that I believe will help us in those walking seasons that I talked about, those seasons of delay. Um, When I spoke about it, it said, I told you that often these walking seasons are to strengthen the foundation. So some of these things I'm going to talk about, they're foundational things. They're things that you're like, yeah, I can see that, but we often need to be refocused. We, Pastor Rick always says that we leak. And so we need to be reminded and refilled with some of those foundational things so that we can be strong to go on to the next season. So the first thing that I want to talk about is that God uses seasons of delay to strengthen us. We can often look at the lives of Paul or other great leaders in the Bible, and we can say, man, those people, they have just more faith than what I could ever have, or they're just stronger than what I could ever be. And really, that's not true. They're men just like we're men, except for I'm not a man. So they're human just like we're human. Um, And they experience the same things 
that we experience. They, they get weary and they get tired and, and the weight of the world does, did bear down on them and they needed times to be strengthened. And it says that when Paul got to the island that he was shown unusual kindness and that he was honored. And I think of the two years of his life before that, that he was in prison, that he was in bondage, that he had to be ready to defend himself at any moment, that there were death attempts on his life and he never knew when they were going to come again, that had to weigh him down. And so being in this space where people showed him kindness, where there was no prison cell, where he was free from chains, had to be extremely strengthening and extremely refreshing. Isaiah 40, 29 says he gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Paul had three months on the island of Malta to be strengthened. And I know many times, many of you have been in a place where you've been going, 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 and the weight is just bearing down. In fact, I've heard lots of stories of leaders and pastors and things over the years that they just went and went and went until they hit burnout, and until they crashed. And oftentimes when you get to that place, it takes so long to recover, and you may never get back to the place you once were. That is not God's plan and purpose for our life. He doesn't want us to hit burnout. And so he provides times where he can strengthen us. He provides times where things slow down and they stop. And there's not something that you're moving toward necessarily so that you can be refreshed in the moment. And this is what God, one of the things that God was doing for Paul is he was strengthening him for going to Rome. Another thing God does in the delay is he equips us. It says at the end of that passage that I read that they provided everything that was needed for his journey. God wants to provide everything that we need. That's his promise to us. There's nothing that he calls us to that he doesn't provide for us for. In fact, in Hebrews 13, 21, in the Passion Translation, it says, may he work perfection into every part of you, giving you all that you need to fulfill your destiny. That's God's heart for us. He wants to work perfection in us. He's going to give us everything that we need for whatever it is that he calls us to, but sometimes he needs to just stop a little so that he can teach us a few things. I know last week, Pastor Matt told a story of um, us trying to move to Wisconsin, and I love opportunities to get up here after he's told a story and to like correct the errors. And, and enter in all of the correct details of the story. And so he'll get me for that later. But, um, but he didn't say, which I think is so necessary to say, that God told us that we were going to be moving states. I didn't just randomly decide, hey, let's move to a different state. And so um, we started looking, like God said it, so it must be now, where are we going to go? But in reality, it took us five years before we actually moved. We tried to sell our house for 18 months, and I don't know why it took us that long to realize that we weren't going to sell it, because I think we had two showings, maybe three, um, but we, we're, you know, I mean, we're pretty committed people, and so we were committed to selling our house and 18 months before we realized that was not God's plan. Um, but over the course of those five years, God taught us so many things. He equipped us in so many ways. That's when he called us into ministry, and he taught us how to pastor people. And he taught us how to plant campuses and break into new ground. He taught us about outreach and who we are. He taught us how to study the word and to present it 
in a way that, that glorifies God. I mean, there were so many things that we learned in that time that prepared us for coming over here 40 whole minutes away, but yet in a new state. Um, but that season of delay, that season of wondering and waiting, what are, what are you going to do, God? When are you going to do it? Taught us so many things, and we would never have taken back that time. And so I often wonder, do we ever stay in the delay longer because we're taking longer to learn the lessons that God wants to teach us? And I kind of think, like, what if I would have left my house on the market for the entire five years? Would he have been like, ah, you're going to hang here longer until you realize that it's my timing and not your own. Um, but in those seasons of delay, we should be asking ourselves, what lessons is God trying to teach me? What is he trying to do? What is he trying to equip me for and equip me with so that I'm ready? Another thing that God does in the seasons of delay is, is he brings revelation. I kind of referenced it a little bit, but let's read Acts 27, verses 22 through 24. It says, but now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. God came to Paul in that boat and he brought him revelation. And, and that did many things that we can see from this time in Paul's life. First of all, it gave him courage to go and stand before the men on the boat and be like, hey, we got this, to encourage them and to bring them hope, to get them to eat after 14 days. I'm sure they were like borderline dying at that moment, and so they needed to eat. And that revelation helped Paul be able to speak boldly to them and confidently because he knew God was going to save them all because that's what God said. Also, God said, you're going to Rome. And so when that viper came out and bit him, like that's how he could shake it off so, so quickly and just kind of move on because he's like, nope, I'm going to Rome. This isn't Rome, and so that's not happening. I'm going to keep moving forward. We need to God to reveal things to us so that we can confidently move in the direction that he has for us so that the things that the enemy tries to come at us with, the vipers that he tries to send, that they don't derail us, they don't discourage us, they don't cause doubt and fear because we know because God's already revealed and God's already said where we're going. He also revealed to the Maltese people. There was so much revelation of who God was that Paul was able to bring revelation that God did through him. And it says in Daniel 2:22 that he reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in the darkness and light dwells in him. God is a revealer. That is part of his character. And he wants to reveal things to you. It says that Abraham, he wanted to talk with Abraham and reveal his plans to him because he was his friend. So God reveals to you things because it's necessary, but also because he wants to. Because he loves you. Because he's your friend. And you're his friend. And he wants to talk with you. And he wants to share with you. And he wants you to know what he's up to. And so God is a revealer. I was listening to um, Bill Johnson talk at a conference that we were a part of a few weeks ago, and he told a story about his infant daughter who was in the hospital. They didn't know what was wrong. And of course, the family was up there, and they were worried, and they were praying, um, and going through all the emotions, I'm sure, that we can imagine. 
And it said what his wife did is she listened to all of that and then she went off to the side and she prayed a prayer and she said, God, what are you wanting to do in this moment? And that really spoke to me because how many times have I went to God because I needed an answer or I needed a decision and I said, God, do this, God, heal them, God, tell the doctors what to do, God, restore her body, God, protect, like I'm telling God what to do. I've been in places where I needed an answer to a decision. I'm like, God, is it this or this? And God sometimes is saying, it's neither. And because I'm looking for this or that, I'm missing what God is saying because it's something different. We need to be better at saying, God, what do you want to show me? What are you wanting to do in this moment so that I can align my prayers with you instead of me expecting you to align your actions with my prayers? Another thing that God wants to do is he wants to use us to make a difference. In 1 Corinthians 15, 58, it says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. This doesn't say that you should be abounding in the work of the Lord except the delay or except if you don't know what's next, or if it doesn't make sense to you. It says that you should be always abounding in the work of the Lord. That means God wants to use us every day in every moment of our lives, no matter what season we are in, whether we're on the mountaintops or whether we're in the valleys, God intends to use it because he assigns purpose to every minute of our life. God used that season of delay for Paul to do lots of things in the lives of the Maltese people. People were healed. They saw the power of God. The gospel was preached. Many came to know Jesus because of Paul's three months there. And I want to go back to the story of where we were trying to sell the house. And about two years after we tried to sell the house, uh, a neighbor came to me and she told me, she goes, you have no idea how much that you have done for me and how God has used you to save my life. And I said, what? Like, I don't know, what did I do? Like, I didn't even know your life needed to be saved, you know? And so anyway, she was saying, no, no, you don't understand. I was struggling so much with depression that I actually had plans on two different occasions to take my life. Like, I was struggling so bad and wanted to end it all, and God used you to, to, to show me him in a way that I couldn't see him in any other way. And I was blown away because for me, I was just trying to get out of that season. I was just trying to move past it as fast as I could. And I had no idea what God was doing in the moment, but yet he was using me somehow that I still don't know to reach one life. And as I was thinking about that, I had asked Matt a question. I said, God, or Matt, he's not God. Matt, do you, do you think that God would have kept us here longer for that one neighbor? And he said, yeah, absolutely. And that's because God's a God that'll go after the one. So maybe your season of delay is for you, but maybe it's for someone else. And see, if I would have known that that season was only for her, I would have chose to stay there. I would have chose to stay there the rest of my life if it was to save one, because I loved her that dearly. And God loved her so much more. And so maybe in your seasons of delay, you should be looking around and saying, God, what are you wanting to use me to do? Who is it that you are trying to touch? Who is it that needs to see you and you have given me the honor of being the one that your light shines through? 
Never underestimate what God's doing in those seasons of delay. And the last thing I want to talk about is that God uses those seasons to set us up. To set us up for influence, to set us up for for future things. We see that Paul's influence spread all throughout the island of Malta. That people were coming to him left and right to be healed and to hear the word of God. And and great influence he had by his three months there. But I was researching what Malta looked like today, kind of the history since Paul was there, and I found that 98% of the Maltese people today are Christians. Like 2,000 years later, and what Paul allowed God to do through his life is still being realized today in greater ways. Another thing that I found is Publius, that he became the first bishop of Malta. He served there for 31 years, continuing to teach and preach to the generations that came next. And then he went on to serve another 35 years in other places. Like that one man that Paul ministered to affected so many lives. And he wound up being martyred in 125 AD. And I can only even imagine that one event. Like if you watch someone stand and be martyred for that faith, what would that do to you? What would that do to everyone watching? It would radically change their life. And so Paul being faithful in his delay did so much more than what actually happened in that three-month period of time. It also blessed Paul because that influence that he gained, he gained with his traveling companions, he gained with the guards that were overseeing him, and we see that once he left Malta and he was on his journey to Rome, that there was a port that they stopped and stayed with, and the centurion guard just let him go find some Christians to stay with for a week. Like, that's an amazing amount of influence that that centurion had, or that Paul had to have with that centurion to allow him to do that. Because I'm quite sure that that centurion's head would have been taken off had he lost Paul, because he appealed to Caesar. He had to be protected. And so that was how God set up the influence of Paul to be used for Paul, for the people of Malta, but for generations and generations to come. As I close, I want to leave you with this scripture that Paul wrote to Timothy. He says that although I am in chains, the word of God is not in chains. And so that speaks a lot to me because what it says is that the word of God that he's spoken through his word, through the Bible, but also the word of God that he's spoken to you, that he's spoken over you, that it is not in chains. It is not limited in any way. It is not lessened by your situation. If you've lost your job, if you don't have money, that doesn't mean that God can't use you. If you aren't moving forward, if you don't know what's next, That doesn't mean that there's any less effectiveness of God's purpose on your life. The word of God is never in chains. And when he speaks to you, the Bible tells us that it never returns to him void. Every word that he says will be realized. And so I want to ask you to stand with me today. And as I was praying over this message and and just asking God what he wanted to do. I felt like he really laid it on my heart that there's just a lot of people, whether it's in here in the building or whether it's online, that are just struggling with fear, with depression, with stress, 
and with worry, whether it's because of this pandemic that we're all going through, or whether it's because of personal delays that are in your life. And I know that God wants to break that off of you. That is not the way he has caused us or called us to live. That every fear, the Bible tells us that he has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and of a sound mind. And so anytime that we are experiencing fear, it is not of God 100% of the time. If we're fearing anxiety or despair, that is never of God. And he loves you so much that he wants to break that off of you today. And so I want to ask everyone to close their eyes. And if you're feeling any of those feelings, if it's worry or if it's stress or if it's despair or if it's anxiety, I want you to just raise your hands and I want to pray for you today. Because that is not what God wants for you and he's going to set you free today. And I want to tell you, dear ones, that every name has to bow to the name of Jesus. And so if you want that prayer today, I am telling you that that is going to leave you today. And so I'm asking you to raise your hands, not because raising your hands does anything, except for you're saying, God, I surrender and I believe and I trust. And so whether you're in here or you're online, just raise your hands and I'm gonna pray for you today. Dear Father God, we just thank you. We thank you for the authority that you have given us to walk in. We thank you that you are the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and that every knee has to bow your name. Lord God, we just come and we lift up every person in here that's dealing with fear or anxiety or despair or stress or worry. And we just say in the name of Jesus, that all of that be brought down underneath their feet, Lord God. We just declare victory in the lives of each and every person here. We pray that you would blanket them with peace and that a joy would just bubble up in their soul, Lord God. It says that joy is a strengthening. When we're sitting in your presence, we're strengthened by your joy. So Father God, I just pray that joy will rise up in the soul and in the heart of every person today that is needing to be released for them. We thank you, Father God, that your burden is light. And so as we lay all of this down, as all this is broken off, that we can come underneath your light burden. We love you, Jesus, and we give you glory and honor in this place today. Amen. We're going to take a moment and we're going to worship and we're going to just celebrate what God's done. But I want to leave you with this thought that when I prayed, whatever you were dealing with, it was gone. It was gone. That's what Jesus said. That's what the authority that we have in his name. But we have an enemy that is after our soul. The Bible says that he's roaming about. So that means he doesn't stop to steal, kill, and destroy. So he does sometimes try to come back. And so you have to stand on the truth of the word of God and you have to say when he tries to come back, no way, you're not getting your place back in my life. You have to battle that and you have to fight that because you are free in the name of Jesus. So let's worship today before we go out.